Hey everyone, Mark Kenyon here, and welcome back to the audio version of the 100% Wild Podcast. And today we've got Jay Gregory with us again, and this time we're discussing the far-ranging topic of hunting for one specific buck. And this is something I really enjoy doing, and I really enjoy talking about. So it's going to be a fun interview, a fun podcast, but before we get into that, I've got a couple quick asks for you. First off, if you haven't yet, a rating or review for this podcast or for the Wired to Hunt podcast for that matter, it is a huge, huge help. And if you haven't done that yet and you have an extra like 30 seconds or a minute, if you could hop over to iTunes and do that, it is just a gigantic, uh, gigantically appreciated show of support. And whether you want to give us one star or five, we appreciate you giving us that feedback. Also, I did want to remind you all here at the top that we would also love to answer your very own question on a future episode. And I'm actually headed back to Missouri soon to record and film some new episodes in person. So head over to wiretohunt.com slash 100% wild. That's 100% wild to submit a question. And hopefully we'll tackle that on a future episode soon. So with all that said, I appreciate you guys joining me on this one. I hope you enjoy it. And until next time, stay wired to hunt. Welcome to the 100% Wild Podcast. I'm Mark Kenyon with Wired to Hunt. Next to me here, I always like I like the fact that you're next to me. Yeah, that's a nice change. <laughs> <laughs> we got Matt Drury with Drury Outdoors, and uh, we're talking deer today. Shocker. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> and I can't complain. Yeah, I, absolutely. Uh, it's, it, what is it right now? It's, it's March, but already I've got the itch. I literally last night, and, and this is weird, but uh, I was last night sitting in the hotel room, I couldn't sleep, and I was like, I need to watch some deer hunting videos. So I, <laughs> I watched some of your guys' videos on YouTube just to kind of scratch that itch, yeah. and, and already I'm, I'm dying to get out You're there. ate up with it. Always. <laughs> so uh, we've got a guest who I think is also ate up with it. Who do we have with us today? We have Jay Gregory joining us again today. He's been uh, doing it archery-only style for a long, long time, uh, one of the longest-running uh, hunting shows out there at the Wild Outdoors, and... Uh, Longtime friend of, of, of our family, of our company, and, and uh, one heck of a deer hunter. Thanks for joining us, Jay. How are you guys doing? Good, buddy. Now you got to live up to that awesome intro. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I can live up to that or not, but thank you. And actually, I forgot to mention this, but he is a drummer extraordinary. He's in a uh, 80s cover band for a long time called Love Pump. That's awesome. It is, and they're awesome. They're entertaining as it gets. If you love 80s like hair metal music, oh, yeah. these guys are the best. Oh, that's the truth, telling huh, stories. <laughs> and I didn't even mention, and a heck of a golfer too, right? You were a, um, you were a golf pro for, for a while there, weren't you? Really? Yeah, it was. I still play a little bit. I try to anyway, and and uh, I guess I, it's what is that old saying? Uh, Where's all the hats, master of the none? What's yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> jack of jack all trades, trade. jack of all yeah. trades, master of none. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know if that's true though, Jay, because everything I've heard is that you are a master of at least one here, <laughs> at least one more thing, which is the whole deer hunting deal. <laughs> so we're gonna. Well, I don't know. I enjoy doing all of it, so I, I, I enjoy all of it. We're going to pick your brain here again today with some, some more deer hunting questions. I And, you know, you probably should talk turkey too, but everybody's always ate up with deer hunting, so that's where we're going to start. Yeah, yeah. And in that question of the day, unlike most of our other podcasts, it's not a call-in, it's not a listener-submitted. This is a host-submitted question. <laughs> I'm going to give the question of the day today because, Jay, 
I've heard a lot about your ability to target specific bucks. And that's something that so many of us now are, are trying to do more and more. We're getting to know deer and we're trying to hunt just that one. So my question for you, Jay, and I'd love to dig in with a whole bunch of follow-up questions. My, kind of my, my first question is, at a high level, how do you approach that challenge? How do you figure out and hunt one single specific buck? Well, I mean, it's really tough, to be honest with you. Uh, you know, probably the biggest thing, um, killing a big deer, this is going to sound really weird for me to say this, but killing a big deer is not, not nearly as tough as finding a big deer. Mm -hmm. uh, that's usually the tough part. So, you know, it, it all starts with, um, it, will, it starts with good management practices, obviously, to get your property to where, you know, or to hunt in a state where they have, you know, mature whitetails and they get to four and a half, five and a half, six and a half years old. Um, having said that, once, once you're in an area that's got that type of a deer, then you got to find him. And usually the way, you know, we find him is through summertime scouting, uh, putting out the, the bio rocks, the trophy rocks, the minerals, putting cameras on them, running those all the time until you find that deer. Then once you find the deer, um, you know, then it's a matter of trying to uh, keep track of him as as time goes on through the summer and you you get into, you know, the early part of the season and then the rut. And, you know, obviously I'm, I'm not a big fan of the rut. I, I'd much rather try and kill a deer before the rut happens uh, in the early season. I think that's when you've got a better, you know, a better chance of maybe finding you know, figuring him out. Um, I'll go back and I'll tell a real quick story about a deer that I shot. The, one of the only big deer I've ever shot early. Um, it was in, uh, I can't remember what year it was, but uh, it was October 10th. And I'd actually hung the stands for this deer in February, the previous year when I was shed hunting and I found his rubs and I kind of found his bedroom. And I'd, I'd been hunting this deer for a couple couple years, but I'd never seen him in person, but I'd found his sheds. And it was ironic that his bedroom that I had found was not that far from where I was finding his sheds where I was getting all the summertime pictures of him, but I never could t see him during hunting season. So I kind of decided that I was going to uh, hang a stand in this spot knowing that it was a one and done. This spot was so tight and there was no going to be no way to get out of there in the morning after I hunted it without probably spooking him if he was there. So I waited till my first north wind. We went in, we got in that tree, and sure enough, about 9 o'clock in the morning, I saw him coming through the bottom timber eating acorns, and he took forever. I mean, he was taking one step at a time, but he took one step at a time all the way up through the timber, and I shot him at 10 yards right underneath the tree. And that was probably one of the most memorable hunts I've ever had from the standpoint of it took me like three years to figure this deer out. Um, he was right there under my nose the whole time, but it was just a, a situation where all the pieces finally came together, and just finding his bedding area and his rubs and and uh, knowing where he was shedding his horns and spending most of his time, you know, during the summer. And it all just kind of led to one spot. And luckily there was a big tree there that I could get in. So, so on the topic about finding those pieces and putting all those pieces together, can you tell us specifically how, what, how you're specifically scouting? You know, what things are you looking for when you're scouting on the ground? What things matter? You know, what things don't? And then I think you're talking about some trail camera used to maybe. Could you elaborate on that as well? Well, tra trail cameras are a huge part nowadays. I mean, everybody knows that, whether it's a cell cam or a regular SD cam, um, because it's 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 real-time information for you. I mean, you're, you're, you know right then that that deer's there or has been there. Um, Obviously, food plays a big part. Cover plays a big part. Uh, rubs, you know, rubs will actually give away 
uh, a lot of information about deer too, especially their travel corridors and where they're moving from food to bedding. There's generally, if you're finding, um, you know, if you're after one particular deer, let's say this deer's got, you know, he's got something funny off of his base that you know is going to raise, you know, havoc on a tree whenever he rubs it, you, you'll be able to figure out his rubs pretty quick usually. Um, so I, I like to really pay a lot of attention to rub lines and where they're going uh, from food to bedding. Um, and then obviously scrapes. The thing about scrapes that are a little bit difficult is that you know, it's kind of like a dog. It's kind of like having a fire hydrant in the city. If there's a bunch of dogs that come through there, they're all going to hit that. They're all going to pee on that fire hydrant. It's kind of the same thing with a scrape. You know, people always talk about, well, that's a huge scrape. Well, yeah, it's because 10 year and a half old bucks are using that same scrape. Mm -hmm. Not to say the big ones aren't too, but um, I, I really like to key in on big rubs and taking rubs from feeding areas to bedding areas, I think draws a, a really good picture of what these are deer are doing, especially in the earlier season, earlier part of the season. That's interesting because I feel like so many times people get honed in on the scrape, you know what I mean? And, and because it's, I, I maybe, maybe it's because it's usually easy to hang your camera right on a scrape or something, but I feel like you hear more about a scrape than a rub. Yeah, especially with trout camera pictures, like you said, yeah. I feel like we talk a lot about how those can be great places to get those pictures and get inventory of bucks. But I wonder, you know, do you think, Jay, that trail camera pictures on a scrape are less helpful from a patterning perspective? Because, like you said, it's just that fire hydrant effect, and these deer are hitting that lots of times in the middle of the night maybe. I mean, is that a less valuable scouting tool when you're trying to kill that deer? No, act, well, here's the thing about scrapes and the cameras on them. It's the, it's the best place to take your inventory of what you've got once season gets to going. I mean, there's nothing better. And I'm not saying you can't kill a big deer on a scrape. If you get a deer that's, that you're patterning to a scrape, uh, awesome. Um, that's a super place to set up. Uh, all I'm, I was just kind of reflecting back on from, from the early part of the season, whenever these deer come out of velvet, and you're trying to figure out where they're at early on, those, those rubs from the feeding where you've been getting pictures of them all summer, uh, those pictures uh, or those rubs that you find near the feeding area to the bedding area, I think really kind of paint a story of where that deer's going. All right, so Jay, when it comes to that, uh, to what you're doing there with the rubs, can you elaborate on, you know, when are you actually going in to look at that stuff? I mean, you're, you're talking about, you know, early in the season. So are you actually going in and seeing a new rub line pop up on October 1st and then you're you're hunting that because it's backing up into a bedding area? Or are you talking about using that data and applying that to, to future years? I mean, how, how, how much of that time thing is going through there? Well, I mean, obviously, I think it gets, it, it gets very tough to do a lot of scouting during the season for obvious reasons. For one, you don't want to, you know, you don't want to bump the deer out of there. Yeah. In a lot of situations, I'll look at the sign after the season's over with. I'll really try and pay attention to, just like the deer I was talking about earlier, I knew where he fed because it was a little alfalfa field, and I knew that I'd got all my pictures of him all summer there. So I knew that's where he was hanging out in the summertime. That's why I went in later on after the season was over when I couldn't kill him, <laughs> and I went up into the area that I thought possibly – he was, um, he was utilizing. And that's when I found all the big rubs. So I kind of already had that in my head for the following year that this is where that deer is going. So when I went back in that summer and I started getting pictures of him in the same exact spots again, 
all the same rubs and scrapes start opening up around this field. I just, I already had an idea that that's the direction he was going to be going. And it was totally opposite of the way I'd been hunting before. I mean, I had no idea he was going the other direction. So, um, looking at those rubs and taking them away from early season feeding, um, I think will give you a good idea of what this deer is doing in the early season to kill him before the rut kicks in. And then they get almost impossible to figure out because you never know where they're going to be. But the scrapes, like we've talked about before, the scrapes are a great place to take inventory of all the bucks that are coming through there then. And if you get a buck that is, you know, I've not hunted very many bucks that have been very patternable on scrapes, but I know guys that have and have had luck. And so if you do get on a scrape where it's consistent, especially if you're running a wireless camera, great place to kill him. I mean, cause he'll tell you when he's going to, you'll get a pattern of when he is checking it, whether it's early morning, late evening, whatever. So yeah, that so, makes any sense. Yeah, no, it does. Um, and you know, I feel like there's a couple different schools of thought when it comes to using trail cameras to pattern deer, at least from all the different people I've talked to. I mean, I know some guys who do what you just said there, they've got their cameras on their scrapes and then maybe on food sources and they're just seeing, okay, when are the deer hitting these two things, you know, scrapes to get an inventory, who's in the area, are they starting to move a little bit more? And then, you know, on the other side, when are they hitting food? That's kind of what I do. But then there's other people I know, especially when they're trying to target one deer, you know, they will have maybe their, their trail camera started like that. And then when they figure out that you know the buck that they're after maybe is using this area then they'll start moving all their cameras into that area and start adjusting their trail camera location to try to narrow down specific trails or specific times or anything like that how far do you take your trail camera work to scout specific deer are you just keeping in one place and i'm too scared it? to do that <laughs> yeah or do you do this whole adjustment thing that some people do oh i'm definitely adjusting them when season comes uh for sure um Obviously, scrapes are the most important as far as trying to find where he's at, uh, especially if you're trying, if you're, if you're scouting to hunt then. You know, the whole rub thing, that I, the scenario that I painted before is, was more of a situation of trying to figure out a buck that I couldn't figure out before. I couldn't figure out where he was going. So, you know, that's why I went in after season and kind of figured him out, and then I was able to kill him next year. If I've got a particular deer that I'm trying to kill right now, there's no better way than to, to run this, the cameras uh, and scrapes are the best place to start. And then, like I said, if you, if you find a buck that's hitting a scrape, then you're going to know that at least you should be in that area. If not set up over that scrape, at least close enough to where maybe you can see that deer crossing the field or cutting through a timber, cutting across the ridges, you know, keep him on the upwind side, get on the horns of the grunt tube and try and get him to come to you, which is very, very, uh, very doable, especially that time of year. I mean, that's one of the most, uh, successful tactics that I've ever, you know, that we always use every year is you see one moving and you know, you let him get to the upwind side, then try and call him to you. You know, then you've, you know, you've got as good a chance then at killing him as, as you're ever going to. So you're talking, you're talking late October, early November or what time of year there? Yeah. You're talking, you're, you're talking 20th of October on, you know, through, you know, anytime probably in November if you catch him in the right mood. But uh, my favorite is that very, when you, if you could just figure out when that exact time is, but that early part, right before uh, they really start breeding, they can get very, very, uh, they'll come to a call and, and, you know, they're looking and they hear two bucks. Uh, and if, you know, I, I like to be able to see a deer I'm calling to, so I can kind of take his temperature too. You know, you can see what he likes, what he doesn't like. I'm not a big fan of blind rattling anymore because, you know, most of the time they, 
they circle downwind and and unless you're in a spot where they can't get downwind of you i think a lot of times you call in deer you never see so yeah so you know on this the scrape side of things and, and you're talking about patterning the deer you know getting them coming coming to those scrape sites for me what i've noticed on my lease it's all so random it seems like is that what you notice i mean it's like i don't know how to pattern them I, i've had both i've had some deer where it seems totally random and then there's some deer you know like we talk about sometimes they seem to have unique personalities like with holyfield that's one of the most patternable relatively patternable i mean he's like a homebody he's got mm-hmm. a very tight core so i know with more consistency than many other deer i've hunted that he's going to do some common things but then it seems like there's other deer that are the exact opposite. I don't, I don't know what you've seen, Jay. And, you know, in today's whitetail world, I mean, our deer numbers are so high and we have so many does, too. I mean, let's face it, a buck doesn't have to work real hard to find a doe. So, you know, the that's why I say the scrapes early on in the season can give you a good inventory. But to actually hunt, in my experience, to actually hunt over a scrape and kill one, I've not been that successful with with that scenario and i think a lot of it has to do with there's just you know a big mature buck let's face it he's going to get the first doe in the area and then once he loses her how long is it going to take him to find another one you know he not very long and you better be in the right place yeah you better be in the right place at the right time in that instance you got to catch him in between yeah speaking of timing i imagine when you're hunting one of these specific deer you're mentioning this different type of scouting you're doing, but I'm sure, or at least I'm assuming, that you're probably not going and hunting all the time. Uh, I imagine you're probably trying to balance, you know, learning about the deer and putting in opportunities to hunt him, but also not hunting him at the wrong times. Can you tell us how you think about that? How do you decide when to go in? How do you decide when to be aggressive and when not to be? Oh, it, you absolutely got to be really careful about what you, you know, the times that you do go in. Um, obviously wind is going to play the the biggest part of that situation you're going to have certain stands in certain areas that you're going to be able to get into and you're going to be able to hunt uh and then you're going to have some that are going to be very difficult the, you know the one thing about picking a stand location in in that scenario is uh, and why you have to be really careful is sometimes what people don't really think about is they think about okay well i can go in and get in the stand um, and I can hunt it because I'm going in in the morning. I know the deer are going to be in the field way north of me. The winds out of the north are going to be coming back in there. And then, you know, the bedding area, wherever it is, but you're leaving scent on the way in and on the way out. So you got to be really careful. You know, if you, if you're hunting an area too much, you're probably going to be throwing up red flags. And, and so that's why you got to be super, super careful. Pick your, pick your best time, uh, watch the pressure, the barometer pressure, watch the wind, um, the time of year. And just try and pick that that super time to get in there, and when all the stars kind of align, then you your chances are so much better of actually killing that deer. You know, you need to be really careful about overhunting a spot. And when everything comes together, I mean, that's the time to go in and, and try it. You know, we all have those we all have those trees that we can't wait to get in every year. We just got to wait till the right time to get in them. We don't want to burn them before it gets good. Can you overhunt a spot during the rut? So say your wind, you know, is, is decent. <clears throat> a lot of people always say, oh, it's the rut. You know, anything can happen. They'll come from anywhere. So it almost doesn't matter the wind direction, but it does. I know it does. Yeah. But, you know, if you have high pressure and you're sitting on the side of a ridge in the morning and, you know, so you think I can do no wrong and you keep going in there, you know, each morning. Is there a point there where you, you're, just, you're just hurting your, your odds? 
Well, I, I think that will answer itself by how many deer you start not seeing every day that you go back in there. It'd yeah. be like going to an outfitter that takes a hunter into the same spot every day. And I know that happens sometimes. I mean, it's, it, it definitely has an effect because, you know, it's not just while you're there hunting, but you have to remember you got to get into that stand and get out of that stand and you're leaving a scent trail on the way in and on the way out. So you're, you're creating a barrier and you're letting those deer know, you know, those deer are out there 24 hours a day and they walk around more in the dark than they do in the daylight. So every time we leave scent out there and we think, well, nothing came across, nothing new. I was there. We don't know how many deer crossed our trail after we left in the dark, uh, that night. And, you know, you're just educating them. So, yeah, I, I think it can definitely, uh, I, I think it can definitely harm your spot if you continually hunt it. Now, if you hunt it smart, you've got a good entry and exit, and you're only hunting it on good winds, and it is during the rut, you could probably get away with a little bit more. You know, if you're going to push the envelope, that's the time of year maybe to do it. But you got to be really careful. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, we have to wrap things up here pretty quickly, Jay, but I want to ask you one last question, um, and maybe it's related to this topic of hunting a single specific buck. Maybe it's something different, but I was just kind of curious, what is one thing that you do that's very different than most other hunters that you think helps you in some way? Is there anything out there that you do that just not most people are? I sneak in and poach on Mark's ground. <laughs> <laughs> well, there it is. <laughs> kidding um you know i i don't know that there's anything special that i do i just love doing i I love deer hunting i love trying to figure them out for me it's a 365 day a year deal i mean i'm running cameras right now on deer that are that are shed and i'm already trying to figure out which deer they are by the size of the hole in the top of their head on, (laughs) on my farm so it's you know it's just something i really enjoy doing um i i think and you know for me now, it's it's about my kids, you know, why it's why it's 19, Whitley's 9, and, and it, it's so much fun for me to pass that along to them, and Whitley killed her first deer last year with a bow, and so I'm trying to teach her and do the right things, you know, um, and teach her the right things, and so it just makes me be a little bit more careful, and, and uh, I think, you know, I'm very fortunate, as Mark and Terry and Matt are, that we get to hunt a lot, and we're out there all the time, so... Um, I do get to pick and choose the, the best times at the best spots on my farms. And, and I think that, you know, being patient, I think helps, uh, having patience and, um, I just really enjoy what I do. So I, you know, I, I love hunting whitetails. I just, I just love whitetails in general. So, you know, I, I don't know that I really do anything special to be honest with you. Well, <clears throat> one thing that I always pick up on, on, on these guys that are killing big deer consistently like Jay and Mark and you know, in the stand pots, <clears throat> their aggressive nature and hunting, it's a little different than, so they take all these pieces of the puzzle, they put them together, but they get aggressive when the time is right. right. And <clears throat> it's just, I think it, it's the difference in killing that upper end next level whitetail as opposed to not. Yeah. I mean, it, it's something that either you got it or you, it's hard to learn how to do that. I mean, you can obviously pick up on these tips from these guys, but it's either kind of in your nature or it, or it isn't. Right. You know, if you're not an aggressive guy in, in everything you do in general, I mean, it may not be, it may not be in you to, to say, all right, I found out where he's at, 
and the wind's right, today I'm crushing into his bedroom yeah. or whatever. I mean, yeah. that's that's I, I don't know if you've noticed that, Jay, with with the people that you know that kill big deer, but that seems to be a common trait almost. Yeah, knowing when to go for the kill and then knowing how to do it. Yes. It's definitely picking your, you know, it's picking your spots and your times. I mean, it's, it, it's, and a lot of it's a guess. I mean, obviously I've guessed way more times wrong than I've guessed right. Um, but if you're out there enough times, I mean, the law of averages does catch up. So, so you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there's a chance. Well, Jay, thank you so much for sharing all this with us. This has been super helpful. And I know, um, this coming fall, I think we'll all be able to take a little bit of these different pieces of ideas and putting them into play in our own seasons. Well, thanks for having me, guys. It's always a pleasure and any time. Thank you, Jay. I awesome. need to go hang a set. <laughs> <laughs> well, real quick for those out there watching and listening, just a reminder, you can subscribe to the audio version on iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play, and you can submit your own question at wiredtohunt.com slash 100% wild. And you can always watch the video version of this podcast at the Drury Outdoors YouTube channel. And while you're there, check out all the original hunts, the DOD TV episodes, and Killing It in the Kitchens. And as always, follow us on social media, ourdruryoutdoors.com. Awesome. Thanks so much for listening. Peace.